0: Praise God, Pastor Lee. I just want to thank you for the the warm reception that's been in this church. The kindness of the people. What a credit to what the Lord is doing here. And there's a, there's a warmth here that is only attributable attributable to the presence of Christ. And I noticed today you recognized a lot of people in the sanctuary and ministry, and I'm glad you did because when you get to be my age, you won't recognize almost anybody. <laughs> My wife says to me, <clears throat> every day for me is an adventure because I never remember where I've been. <laughs> they, Pastor Lee said, have you ever been to Baton Rouge before? I said, possibly, I'm not quite sure. Maybe. And uh, I need her here. I need uh, Pastor Teresa here to tell me what I was, if I was here, what I was doing. And did I enjoy it or not? So she, <clears throat> she knows all of those details, the rest of it. I just leave, I leave it all to her. I don't have to think. I don't have to remember anything. I just leave it all to her. It's funny, you know, sometimes at times where church people would come backstage on Sunday and she would be standing beside me and she knew I didn't know them. And they would be, and then so she started dropping hints, you know. It's so good to see you again. And I, I'm still staring and she says, I remember when we had lunch together yesterday, you know. Yeah. I, I, will, I will promise to remember you. Okay, I promise to remember being here. I have officially been in Baton Rouge. Even if I've been here before, I've officially been here again. And uh, I'll most likely be here again in the future because I'm part of a ministry <laughs> here. I would like to speak this afternoon, or this morning still, but I'd like to speak to people who feel that you're too weak to make a difference. Now, you're happy clappy in church, but unfortunately you have to go home with yourself. <laughs> and you look in the mirror and there's a tendency in all of us to look at those who stand in pulpits or have some kind of a public ministry and you say, "Oh God, I see what you've done through that person, but I don't know what you could ever do through me. You're aware of your own struggles. You're aware of your own frailties, your limitations as it is. And the longer we look at that, we can actually arrive at a wrong conclusion. And the wrong conclusion is that God somehow is limited and can't use me for his glory. I'm going to share with you the truth that I think in this generation... I won't say it's been lost, but perhaps it's on the shelf for a season that needs to be rediscovered. If you go with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start there. For those who feel <clears throat> too weak to make a difference. Father, I thank you, God. Oh, God, I thank you for your mercy, your kindness. Lord, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Would you help us to get out of our own thoughts and our own ways and to start embracing the ways of the Spirit? God, in your kingdom, it just seems like the way up is down. The way to strength is through weakness. The way to knowing you is admitting our, our own struggles and failings. God, I just ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the touch of your Holy Spirit. On your word today, because if you don't touch it, it's just more learning that doesn't change us. Touch it and illuminate it in our hearts and cause our hearts to burn. Each mind included, Lord, cause us to burn for your kingdom, your ways and your glory. And help all of us, Lord, to discover your strength. In Jesus name. Amen. Paul, the Apostle, starts with these words. First Corinthians chapter two verse one, "And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, you first look at it and you say, something is wrong here. Because Paul was a natural leader. Paul was an impassioned man. Paul had a, a brilliant mind. Nobody can debate that. I don't think other than Christ is anybody who's ever had a more brilliant theological mind than the Apostle Paul. Paul had been lifted into the presence of God in the heavens. He had been shown things which he himself said are not even lawful to utter. Paul was an impassioned man by nature. He was so impassioned for his wrong set of beliefs that he persecuted the church. He was able to lead people in that persecution. He was able to convince authorities to give him letters of authority to go and bring people out of their homes and torture them and put them in prison. He was, by his own testimony, a Pharisee who, under the law, was blameless. So obviously he's exceedingly strong because I don't know anybody else who could make that claim in the New Testament or the Old that they were actually blameless, but Paul said, I was blameless, according to the law. That's an incredible boast, and it can't be a lie because the Holy Spirit allowed it to be put in the text of Scripture. So this is a strong man. This man is a leader. This man has studied. This man has knowledge. And yet, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he describes himself as being in the presence of Christ's church in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And it's my speech and preaching, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now either, so when we read it, we say, did, did Paul lose his confidence? What happened to Paul? How come he wasn't standing there strong? How come he wasn't extolling his revelation? How come he wasn't leading, as obviously he was, but leading with that natural human exuberance and confidence? Had he lost his confidence? Or I want to suggest maybe he discovered something that we've lost. He discovered a truth that in our generation we would be wise to look at again and discover again. Now let me just... By way of explanation, I want to talk about the life of Moses, uh, and I'm going to start in Acts chapter seven, where Timothy—not Timothy, but Stephen, the young disciple—is about to be stoned to death. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he makes a brilliant defense for the gospel, and for the presence and power of God through His Holy Spirit. Partway through his defense, as he's about to lose his life, he talks about Moses. And in Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 22, he says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. I want you just to take note of that in your Bible. He was learned and mighty. In speech, I can just imagine Moses getting up in Pharaoh's court and giving a speech and everybody just more or less standing in awe because according to Stephen, he was mighty in words and in deeds. He, He could command, authority, could build things that they were prone to do in in the empire of Egypt of, of that time. And the scripture says, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. It's not, that's quite a truth. He, and here we have we have a man who's called, he's commissioned, he knows his calling, he knows his commission, he knows what he's supposed to do. He heads out at 40, that's, that's probably a good age to start into ministry. He's naturally strong, he's still connected to Pharaoh's court. He probably arrived in a chariot with six white horses pulling it, thinking the people are going to be impressed by this. He sees one Egyptian uh, hurting one of his brethren, takes out his sword, and kills that one Egyptian and buries him in the sand, thinking the moment has arrived of deliverance of God's people. Not understanding he had gone out in natural strength, in natural wisdom, ahead of God. And suddenly he finds himself in a place where he has to flee for his life. Seemingly losing everything. And, and you can just imagine for the next 40 years what must have been in this man's mind. God, did I really hear from you? what was that voice in my heart just in an aberration was it was it something i made up in my own heart i i, I was supposed to deliver the the people that my own people and here i am now and not only in the desert in the backside of the desert it's like it's, it's you can't get any farther back than that in the middle of nowhere in a dry place and he's no longer he's no longer building empires he's no longer building pyramids or temples or such like things he's probably building a fence for the sheep That he's looking after. He no longer has a sword or a chariot. He's walking everywhere he goes. Sandals on his feet. And his sword's gone. And all he has is a stick in his hand. And suddenly at this point in his life. The Lord looks down and says. You're ready now. Isn't that amazing? You're ready now. For me to use you. For my glory. Because now you know. It's all me. And none of you. It's all me. I think we live in a generation where we have, we have exalted human strength. We've exalted human reasoning. We've exalted human wisdom. I, I love the, pa- the fact that Pastor Lee got up and talked about a lady in the church is just as important as anybody who stands on the platform. That is the truth of the kingdom of God. There are no big people. There are no little people. There's just the body of Christ. The giftings of God are distributed as the Holy Spirit desires all throughout the body. And He gives... Those things that he has, not to us in our strength, but quite often in our weakness, so that no flesh can glory in his presence. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we are comes from God. Everything we ever will be comes from God. Now, at the time that Moses is called to deliver the people, he goes into Egypt, and I told a little of the story yesterday, but I just love the scenario of he and his brother. You can just imagine, it's, it's Pharaoh's court. I mean, this is the most mighty leader and army on the earth, at that, the known earth, that is, as it is at that time. And here comes these two little old men, 80 and 83 in, one with a stick, and he stutters, so he can't speak. And he's got his brother who he really wished he had brought along on the journey. I'm sure of that, eventually. And his brother's there. His brother's kind of like a stuffed suit. He doesn't have his own walk with God. He's just kind of dragged along by Moses. I threw that in for extra. There's no extra charge for that. But, and they come in before Pharaoh and this is Thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that they may sacrifice or do service to me and worship me out in the wilderness. And the only reason I feel, it's only my thought, but the only reason I feel that Pharaoh didn't kill them on the spot is because it was so humorous. <laughs> that these two old men would come in and challenge the mightiest leader in the known world at that time. I think it was just funny. And it was it probably a bro- probably everybody in the court laughed. This was such a ridiculous plan. Wow. Oh. Ho, ho. You see, did you ever realize that you are God's ridiculous plan?) Yeah. This is the way God works. He needs a voice. He needs a voice to, to, to bring the nation back into line again. He says, "Now I need a barren womb so I can produce the voice." He needs a a mighty man of resources to lead uh, three camps of of warriors to to hilltops with with one of the most foolish battle plans in the history of the world. Just a jar with a torch and a trumpet. And you're, you're you're about to... You're about to take the torch, the jar off and smash it, lift the torch and shout the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. I can just imagine the 300. And when he told them the battle plan and they said, then they said to him, well, then what? We're exposing ourselves publicly to 135,000 soldiers. And there's only 300 of us. And he said, well, this is what the Lord told me to do. And and then they said, well, then what? And he said, well, I don't know. That's all he told me. He didn't tell me what's going to come after that. It took guts to go up that hill. I'll tell you right now. But it was another ridiculous battle plan in the kingdom of God. It takes Esther at the time when she feels unloved and unlovely and unwanted to do one of the greatest works in the history of the Jewish people at that particular time in history. And I could just go on and on and on. Saul's army, have, they've, they've attended all their spiritual warfare conferences and they've polished all their armor and they've, they've taken out their cardboard swords and fought their piñatas as we do in America and now a real giant has arisen, like in our generation. A real voice is challenging from the other side of the valley and says, you will serve us if you can't beat us. Where are we today? What are we facing? And none of the soldiers could find the courage to fight. All the voices suddenly become silent. Everybody's telling everybody to be quiet, go home, keep your mouth shut. And finally, the ridiculous battle plan of God comes into the fore again. A little boy, a teenage boy, as we saw on the platform. I just love it. It's my hope for the future teenage boy with nothing more than five smooth stones in a bag in a sling oh come on the, the whole the philistine army mocked him as he came down into the valley and goliath says listen i'm going to take your head and i'm going to take it off you and i'm going to scatter you to the vultures and all the rest of the thing and, and then suddenly the spirit of god comes on this ridiculous battle plan and he starts to prophesy read it again when you have time and he starts to tell the giant what the Spirit of God is about to do. He said, you have offended the living God. You have offended God by challenging him and challenging his people. And challenging his army. And one more time, just a, a teenage boy goes in and wins one of the most marvelous victories in, in all of history. And I can, just, I can just go on. I love just going through the scriptures of all the people that God took. Everyone he used. And he didn't use the strong Used the weak, who do you think the 120 were in the upper room? They weren't the strong of their generation. They weren't the people that said, "We'll stand with you, we'll go to Jerusalem, we'll die with you." They were people who denied him. They ran when Christ needed them. They were cowards, every last one of them, even his friends that got close, they still stood afar off. But they were there. and they came out, they came out into the marketplace with no weapons, no plan, no nothing, just the Holy Spirit just prophesying who God was, what he had done, and what he's going to do, speaking to others in languages that they knew about the power and the presence of God. And those little, that little band of failures changed the whole known world. It's because of them that we have the gospel here today. Do you know that? So anybody who tries to tell me the nation is gone, it's finished, or there can't be revival, they don't know who God is. They have no idea. They're not reading their Bibles. They don't know what God has done. They don't know who God is. But in this journey, when Moses was taking the people out of captivity and into the promised land, on the way out, God gave them gifts, didn't he? Now, he, he gave them what's called the spoils of Egypt. They, had, they were given gold and jewels and all these things. And Isn't it true that when the scripture says when Christ rose from the dead, he took captivity captive, just as he did in Egypt, and gave what? Gifts unto men. So here we are, in the church of Jesus Christ and and we are adorned with the beauty of Christ we are adorned by the holy spirit with giftings Amen. and some people don't even realize what they have but they've been given these showered with this generosity of god these giftings and so out they came from captivity and they're on the journey to the promised land like we are right we're on the journey to heaven i mean i'm i'm getting closer than you and a lot not all of you i can look around there's a few of you <laughs> would you would you greet my mom and dad when you get there because you're probably going to be there before me but and so they're on their way into the into the promised land and the people took the giftings you know Moses went up into the mountain to to speak with God and God was about to give him the tablets of the law and he was, he was gone for a little while and so what they did is they they took the giftings And they they threw them into a pot in a sense, and Aaron fashioned another God. I wonder sometimes, it's just a wonder, it's not an accusation. In America, have we done the same thing? Did we did we take the giftings of God and fashion a more palatable Jesus? A Jesus that's just there to meet everybody's need. He doesn't require anything of anybody. It's not about sacrifice or or living or dying for the sake of the gospel or going to reach the unreached. It's just all about me. It's about my wealth. You know, I've often said that in the Constitution of uh, the United States is the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what we did in the Christian church in America is we took that and it became the theological focus of the church. My life, my liberty, my happiness. And it's all about me in many places coming into the house of God, everything's about me. And if you don't preach about me, I'm not staying. I'll find another church that preaches about me. And that's what has brought this incredible weakness into the testimony of God in our generation. 120 people went out into the hostile marketplace and changed the whole known world. Even Rome eventually bent its knee. To the presence of God. We have churches on every corner. We can have 120 churches in a small town that can't touch our communities. Do we have the courage to draw back and say something might be wrong? Maybe we got too strong. Maybe we got too smart. In America today, what we did is we took the evangelist out of the church. We actually we actually canceled one of the fivefold ministries and we, we replaced him with the strategist. We know how to do this. We can grow a church. We can get people into buildings, and that's exactly what we've done. Powerless people into big buildings we are not impacting their society. Not given to prayer. Not, not an expression of the glory of God. Not living for the sake of others. Not taking up their cross. Not following Jesus. Just there. Because we had the strategy to build these organizations and left the nation bankrupt. And who can debate it? Who can debate the fact that we're not affecting our society? Does, at some point somebody has to say, hey, the king has no clothes. Yeah, wow. At some point, somebody has, the, has to have the courage just to say, look, folks, let's have the guts to examine where we are. And the courage to say, God, where do we need to go? Here's what happened. The Lord came to Moses after all of this happened, after they built the calf. which was almost unthinkable that you could be delivered after all those years of bondage, 400 years of bondage. And in just a short season, you would actually build an alternate God. A God of gold that you could kind of point in any direction you wanted him to go. He didn't, wasn't leading you anymore. You could lead him. A God that they wanted to see with their eyes because it was too hard to believe in a God by faith. And so the Lord said to Moses, chapter 33 of Exodus, Depart and go from here, you and the people, that you brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, will I give it, and I will send my angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. So, in other words, I'm going to, I won't go with you, but I will send a message. You will be led by a message about me, but not by me. I don't know about you, Pastor, but I've been in places all over the country where there's, there's good preaching, but a strange absence of the presence of God. Good preaching, good message, good great message. But the people aren't strong. The people are not strengthened. The people are not changed. And, and their, their whole sense, their whole Christianity is based on the exuberance of the pastor. Oh, the pastor got us through to Tuesday this week. Wow. Then we tanked and waited. We couldn't hardly wait to get back in on Sunday. Because it was, they were being led by a message. And a messenger. And not the presence of God. He said, go into a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you in the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are stiff necked. I, I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. And it came to pass, verse 7 everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. In other words, put away your pride, put away your adornments, put away your giftings, put away past victories, because the moment demands something bigger than this. And I can just see it, everybody going outside the camp and seeking God. Not everybody went, but those who were seeking the Lord went out outside of their, the familiar, outside of the, the normative, outside of just, just the requirement to attend church for two hours on Sunday or maybe a, a study on Thursday. They, they went outside and they went to the tent of meeting with God. They said, Lord, I, I, I want your presence in my life. I'm not content just to have a message about you. I'm not content just to talk about you. I'm not content just to preach sermons. I want your presence in my life. And the Lord, and Moses said to the Lord, verse 13, he says, I pray if I've found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. God, if I've found any favor with you, guide me. That's what he was saying. And and remember that these are your people. Guide me. There was a desperation in Moses at this point. In verse 15 he said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. You see, I I can feel what Moses is feeling. Moses said, hey, I tried this 40 years ago and it didn't go very well. I knew I was called, but I went out without your presence and I'm not doing it again. I'm not going out in my own strength. I'm not going out with my own wisdom. I'm not going out with, with, even if I, even if I had influence, I wouldn't use it anymore. I need you to go with me because he said, what, what, how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people on the face of the earth. And, and Moses was saying, God, If you don't go with us, we're just an argument. We're just another group of people with another opinion about what society, what truth is and what society should be. We're not called to be an argument. We're called to be a supernatural church on the earth. Empowered by the Spirit of God. Walking with God in our midst. I'm not going. And I understand this because I'm praying the same prayer this year. I'm going to tell you a story and you'll understand why. 40 years ago, I was 28 years of age 40 years ago and I had just been filled with the Holy Spirit. We had a sheep farm at the time. I was in the kitchen of our farmhouse and I was sitting in a chair in front of the fire and I started to pray in the Spirit and I was just dealing with so much stuff. In my life. You all get that, right? You've got stuff in your life, I'm sure some. I was just dealing with so much stuff. And I, I just saw it as such a hindrance to, to my life and to what I felt God would want me to be or do. And I started to pray in the Spirit and I lifted my hands and I said, God, I said these exact words, If you will set me free, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Then I began to pray in tongues. And as I began, my wife was there, she witnessed this. She can tell you the story. As I began to pray, I saw a white light in the corner of the room. I can't describe it because I've never seen a white like this. There's nothing in the world that compares to it. And it started to come towards me and I got scared when I saw it. I thought, wow, what am I getting myself into here? And I was very, very physically fit at the time. I was a fitness fanatic. If you close your eyes, you can probably imagine what, what I might have looked like. That and I had my hands in the air. Now, I'm, I'm bench pressing 220 or 240 pounds. I had my hands in the air. And that light started coming towards me. And I suddenly got scared. And I closed my eyes. And when I closed my eyes, it was just as bright as when my eyes were open. My eyelids didn't dim the light. So I went to pull my hands down. And I couldn't pull my hands down. They were locked in the air. And I tried to pull my hands down. And I couldn't. And that light came and hit me in my face, went through my chest and through my entire body. And I I fell to the floor, terrified, trembling. I'd known fear in my life, but never fear like that. Trembling, sweating. And when eventually, after I don't know how long I was on the floor, I heard the Lord say, stand up, I want to speak to you. And I stood up and he began to speak to me about some things in the future. And I began to quote a scripture I didn't know, almost verbatim, in one of the psalms. Pastor Teresa said, I know you didn't know that scripture. And you began just quoting it line by line. I was so transformed that my wife didn't know me. You should get her to tell you the story. It seems that I could see into the souls of people can't explain it. I could meet somebody and I knew the struggle of their heart. And I could speak right in through the all the exterior, right into the heart. Almost everybody I spoke to for three weeks started to cry and give their lives to Christ. It was amazing. I, I was just walking on water. I couldn't, I can't explain it. I was just walking on water and and I was so, my wife was would, would tell you today that I was so transformed she didn't know me anymore. And one day driving in the car, we are heading into the city where I worked, and I said to her, I said, I, I feel so strange and so different. I said, I miss my old self. Oh, yes. And the next morning, guess who was back? I wept. I cried. I fasted. I sat in the same chair. I tried to repeat the same moment nothing but brass and silence from heaven. And I said, Lord, you knew I was too young and stupid to handle that. You know I couldn't handle your presence. So why did you do that? And this is in the later years. He said, because I wanted you to know the value of what you had. And I will come back to you one day when you understand what I had done in your life. It's been a long, long 40 years. Now, I've gone out with a message. I've gone out and I've seen great miracles. I've seen them all over the world. I've seen civil wars brought to an end. I've I've had incredible opportunities. I mean, it's undeniable that the presence of God has been with me, but never the way it was for those three weeks. And lately, I'm on 605 radio stations right now. I'm told by Ambassador Communications that I tentatively reach 3 to 5 million people in America every day with the call to come back to God and come back to prayer. But lately I've been praying to God I'm not going any farther if you don't go with me. I'm not interested. And neither are you. I, I feel exactly what Moses felt that if you don't go with me I'm not going. And would you, would you have mercy on me for the sake of the people? Would you have mercy on me for the sake of the, the moms that don't know how they're going to feed their kids and the, the fathers who don't know how they're going to stop abusing their families and for the depressed and the discouraged and the suicidal and the, the marginalized and the families that are breaking down and the, na- the nation that's under this canopy of, of filth and darkness? God, for your namesake and for the sake of your people, would you have mercy on me. And now I've discovered Paul's truth. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I have nothing, then I possess everything. When nothing else but him matters, then suddenly he comes to the fore and becomes everything. When there's no longer any itches to scratch and no desire to touch the glory of God, then God can come and do something that only God can do. And that is the need of the hour. That's the need of His church. I am right in the same boat. We're all in the same place, rowing to the same destination. We all need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. We all need God in a new way. We all need to become a supernatural people once again. We need an upper room experience. And I happen to believe that the way the church started is the way that she's going to finish. I do believe that with all of my heart. And I feel that God has pulled the plug on the whole program, called his church in this country for the last season so we can go outside the camp, take off our ornaments, no more boasting, no more bragging, no more of all the self aggrandizement, no more exalting men and women standing in pulpits, no more of this stuff, take off all of our ornaments and go outside the system into the tabernacle and say, God, we need you, not just for ourselves, for this, We're going to heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But it's for the sake of the people. It's for the sake of those that don't have the strength. They can't get up. They can't walk on their own. They can't get free. They can't be men. They can't be women of God. They can't raise their families. They can't get into heaven. They don't know what eternity is. They know nothing about God. And they're not willing to accept an argument any longer. Because there's too much of it going on in the nation. They need a demonstration of the power of God. And that's why the apostle Paul says I didn't come to you with fancy preaching. I didn't come to you drawing to myself. I didn't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom or persuasive human wisdom. But I came to you in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That means every one Paul said I stood before you in weakness to show you that there's hope for everybody. Yeah. Through Jesus Christ. It's because of Christ and His cross that the ground is now level. Always has been, we just forgot it. Everyone, it's the hungry heart that gets the victory. The prophet Isaiah, in speaking about the cross of Christ, made this incredible claim. He he gave this revelation of the redemption that was coming, and he said these few words that people miss. He said, The lame shall take the prey. When Jesus, who got the victory? The blind man that just cried out when everyone told him to shut up. He just said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Who got the victory? The woman that pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. Who got the victory? The lepers got the victory. The lame, the prostitutes, the blind, the addicted, the nothings, the nobodies. They got the victory. They became the testimony of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. glory and if you think God can't use you you're wrong who are you to tell God what he can do and what he can't do he needs nothing to do something the problem is we're too much something that's why he can't do anything he needs nothing he needs people who know that without him I'm nothing I'm weak and I'm trembling and I'm powerless. And Paul actually drew back. He had the courage in a sense to draw himself back that Christ could be preeminent as a testimony to the church because he could have been strong. He was naturally strong. He could have exalted his own wisdom, but he didn't. He could have led. He could have been one of the premier leaders of his day. But instead he became the follower of the one who took a towel and showed us the way to go. So, the Lord responded to Moses this way. He said, I'll go with you. For you've found grace in my sight. And I know, I know your name. I'll go with you. I'll go with you, says the Lord. I'll go with you. Because in your weakness you found grace in my sight. In your admission of who you are, Suddenly it flipped and you began to realize who I am. And I will go with you. We are in such desperate need of a supernatural God in this hour that we're now living in. Please don't wait for somebody else to do your job. Don't wait for somebody else to sing your song or somebody else to be the conduit of God to some hurting soul somewhere. I can tell you honestly, Pastor, I'm not going if God doesn't go with me. I don't really care. I don't really care about the 600 radio stations. I don't care about all the conferences. I don't even want to go. go. I told God I'll go fishing. i will be quite happy to go home and retire and go fishing. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. It's that simple. And he's not offended by that prayer. Because I'll go if he goes with me. But I won't if he doesn't. Moses prayed that, and he was not offended. Changed his mind. Let me show you one more thing just before I close. Okay, prayer. Just go back one chapter. It was when Moses was up on the mountain, the people built the golden calf. Verse 9 says, The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and indeed it's a stiff-necked people. Exodus 32, 9. Now look at these words. Verse 10. Now therefore, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I'll make of you a great nation. That shows me the power that we have as friends of God. Imagine God says to you now, Pastor Lee, leave me alone. I've determined to do something in the city, now leave me alone. And Moses says, no, wait a minute. Think about what will be said about your name, that you brought the people out and you couldn't bring them in. Or you brought them out into the wilderness to do mischief, mischief to them. Didn't you promise Isaac, Abraham, and Israel, your servants? Didn't you swear by your own self and say to them, I'll multiply you and your descendants as stars of heaven and all this land that I've spoken of I'll give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever? Didn't you say that? And the scripture says the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Don't tell me there's no power in prayer. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I feel like I'm on solid ground to say, God, I'm I'm there's just so many voices out there I'm just not willing to be another one. I'm done. I'll do one on one. I'll go to the grocery store, I'll pray for the clerk. I'll I'll take food to the poor. But I'm not I'm not going out there. If you don't go with me, I'm not interested. But I'm discovering what Paul found. I used to find it. Almost an oxymoron when he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. I said, what in the world does he mean by that? When I disappear, Christ appears. When I don't be God, he chooses to be God. And he's not offended by bold prayers. So, Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this time together. And this, I guess, is a capstone of a beautiful week that's been here in this sanctuary, God, where You're now calling men and women to come outside the camp individually to begin to seek you for the anointing that only you can give. That you would begin to walk with us and we would become a supernatural people, laying hands on the sick and they would recover, casting out devils, seeing wounded hearts healed, opening prison doors, preaching with power and authority the kingdom of heaven unraveling the works of darkness, tearing down strongholds and powers and principalities and bringing them into subjection to the obedience of Jesus Christ. This is the inheritance of the people of God. And forgive us, Lord, for living underneath that inheritance. Help us to lay hold of it, God. Help us to go outside the camp. Lord, we ask you for an anointing, God, an anointing of spiritual awakening to come to to us as your people. To this generation for the sake of your name first and for the sake of the people second. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. God, forgive me for the the stupidity of my youth. I had I had for three weeks what we long for. I know what they felt like coming out of the upper room. I've lived it. I know what it's like to preach with a supernatural power. And to see people melt under the word of God. But in my youth and ignorance, just like Moses, I forfeited that calling for a season. But here I am now again, Lord. Here I am. I'm 68 now. And I'm just not willing to go if you don't go with me. Because I've tasted of your presence. I've tasted of your power. I couldn't have handled it. And I'm even afraid of it today. But for your name's sake and for your people's sake, God, would you give us a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit? You said, Jesus, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I ask. I unashamedly ask. I bend my knee. I take off the ornaments. Whatever has been accomplished throughout the years means nothing if I don't have your presence now. God, would you come? Would you forgive us for the circus we made of your name in this country? Would you forgive us, Lord, for pushing you to the sides of the temples and saying, we know how to do this. We can build this. Would you forgive us, Lord, for leaving a bankrupt nation in our wake? A bruised, wounded, hurt, confused Immoral, dying people, just as in the days of Moses. But God, you had one man who said, I'm not going if you don't go. Don't take me out. And so, Lord, there's many of us today. There's many of us. Lord, we want to guide our families into victory. We want to guide our communities into victory. We, we want to be supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to to make a difference if it, whether it's on a radio in a pulpit or on a street corner it doesn't matter or in our own home at the dining room table it doesn't matter God we need the anointing of your Holy Spirit forgive us Lord for putting aside the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and trying to impress people with wisdom and words and knowledge what a tragedy God of a nation we've left in our wake but if you've given me a voice and if my voice is carried to three to five million people a day, what what good is it if your power is not behind it? It's just another voice. It has to be you, Lord. It has to be you. So I'm going to the tented meeting. I'm going to seek you anew and afresh. By your grace, because I can't even do that in my own strength by your grace, Lord. I'm prepared to go to prison if necessary in the days ahead, but it has to be because you led me there. It has to be. It has to be. My God, would you baptize your people anew and afresh? Would you do a work in us that we could never hope to do for ourselves? Give us strength. Encourage us. Lift us. Lift us. God, I can just see Moses getting up when you said to him, I'll go with you. You found grace in my sight, and I know your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.